Hello and welcome to Contemplations. I'm very pleased to be joined by Connor. Your other. And I'm Josh. And today we're going to be covering something that's going to be nice and wholesome in the lead up to Christmas because a lot of political coverage can get a bit miserable and samey and boring. And I don't want to do that. I want to make people um, appreciate the world around them. And so that's what I'm going to try and do by making people appreciate the intelligence of some non-human animals, because this is an area of psychology I did cover a fair amount. I think I chose an optional module while at university looking at animal psychology. And I found it really, really interesting. And I think I've spent this, these three years in Lotus never even mentioning it. And so it's about time, and I feel like Christmas time is the right time, because uh, it's fun and wholesome and nice, and I want everyone to be in high spirits around Christmas time. And uh, I am going to add, there's going to be no mention of apes, because they're getting their own contemplations. Um, I'm, I'm going to have my own ape contemplations, where I talk all about them. So, of course, your, your chimps, your bonobos, your orangutans, your gorillas. And uh, talking about the, their sort of psychology is very interesting, because it's a window into our own and our own nature, because, of course, they're not nearly as socialised as human beings are, which, uh, well depends which human beings are on about, but mostly um, they're not as socialised as, as human beings and so you can disentangle lots of the um, social influences on our nature um, a lot more easily and it, it's a, a great boon to say evolutionary psychologists and biologists to, to compare humans and apes. So it tells us something about ourselves, but I'm not talking about them today. I'm, I'm basically going to be correcting the sort of uh, narratives about intelligent animals because you hear a lot about oh aren't parrots intelligent they can you know repeat words back to people they can learn stuff people say oh they're like a, a toddler in in terms of their intelligence you also hear people praising dolphins um, despite their um, Bill Cosby like nature towards people who are swimming with them and pufferfish <laughs> and that too yeah but I'm not talking about them either um, in fact what I'm going to be talking about is corvids, meaning crows, ravens, though that family of birds, I think magpies as well. We'll be we'll be talking about what's covered and orcas. And orcas, um, people do mention that they're intelligent. Obviously, people have seen the documentaries about Sea World in America, and I find them a little bit scary. Actually, I think it's in, in my mind the fact that you can't see where their eyes are. They have these little white patches, and you think that the eye would be in the middle of the white patch where you can see it, but it's in—it's—it's it's a little black eye surrounded by blackness, so you can't really make out where their eyes are, and you can't figure out their intentions. Any animal named killer whale, I might be slightly wary of. Mm -hmm. I think that's just a sort of sensible policy. Yeah, but on the plus side, um, they've only ever killed people in captivity. They've never killed anyone out in the wild, as far as we're aware, although... That could be changing. So um, make sure to watch all the way through to the end to find out what is changing. The whales are organising. That's what's happening. For yeah. anyone wondering why it's specifically me that, that Josh chose to bounce his ideas off, a couple of times in the office, we have lamented the fact that we do cover a lot of miserable political things. But one of the things which brings us mutual joy are animal videos, whether mm -hmm. it's animals going goblin mode or why you should have an animal. <laughs> it's the only nice thing on our Twitter timeline. Mm -hmm. And so in preparation for this contemplations, I watched a bunch of Planet Earth 3, rewatched some old episodes of Blue planet and a load of dodo videos so i feel just as qualified as you to do this 
Well, uh, I'm glad that the prep for this is far less strenuous than, say, covering, I don't know. Transgenderism, for example. Yeah. It, it's certainly more wholesome, isn't it? Yeah, it's a lot less harrowing to look at Justin the Beaver building dams out of fluffy toys when he's domesticated than it is learning about puberty blockers or something like that. Mm-hmm. There are quite a few uh, channels on the internet that I, I watch. Um, quite like watching uh, animal rehab centres and stuff like that. I know I suggested one to you, didn't I? Mm. Um, but just to give a few more honourable mentions for intelligent animals, because... Um, I, want, I don't want you to go away feeling like I've, I've done some dirty, right? And I've just focused on two. But the reason I'm focusing on two different groups of animals is that I want detail. I want you to, to get a new appreciation for them. If I just skirted over all of the animals, um, I simply wouldn't have the time. It would take me multiple days, as in like eight hours each day, to record something that would do it justice. So I'm going to focus on these two and then I'll maybe revisit the topic in the future. Um, maybe on another special occasion where I can justify to myself something that isn't necessarily um, directly tied to the goings on in the world, um, the, the human affairs, I suppose you could say. But um, octopuses, obviously very intelligent, um, good puzzle solvers as well. Um, they've got um, very good understanding of um, manipulating objects and being able to manipulate their body to fit around puzzles and things like that. They can do similar things to rats, where they can also learn to navigate a maze, um, which I find interesting. Um, obviously, elephants. Everyone knows elephants have a good memory. That's not just a... Uh... A pop at my ears. <laughs> no, no, no uh, friendly fire going on here. But yes, elephants do actually have a good memory. Um, they navigate very vast areas based on their memory. They remember um, faces. They yeah, they remember, remember human beings, yeah. Yeah, they do, yeah. And um, they clearly have a rich emotional life. And I, I'm, I'm sorry to bring this up because it's meant to be wholesome, but I remember talking about in, I think it was in the evolution, uh, the origins of humanity contemplations I did ages ago, I mentioned that when an elephant loses a loved one, they actually cry and they'll, they'll stand next to the body and, and grieve for a couple of days in a sort of very human-like way. So there's clearly uh, a very complicated emotional intelligence. And I think that's something we tend to forget is that some of these higher animals, particularly mammals, have emotions that are equivalent to our own. We may say, well, we're more intelligent than them, but it doesn't necessarily mean that their emotional life is any different because our emotions are informed by our unconscious mind, which is obviously a much older part of our mind. So one has to assume that we have a lot in common in, with our emotions, with other animals, certainly primates, that's for sure. So that's always worth bearing in mind. But I'm not necessarily looking at emotional intelligence per se, because that's kind of a topic all on its own today. We're just going to be looking at regular intelligence. Of course, dogs, a good example of being intelligent, I think border collies in particular mm. uh, are meant to be particularly clever. Um, I know my mum had one growing up, but I've uh, never really lived around one, so I can't attest. I, uh, I grew up with King Charles Cavalier Spaniels, and they're not the, the brightest dogs in the world. Well, they have cranial issues because they've been bred to look a certain way, and so actually mm -hmm. their brain is pressing on their skull, which is why they have quite a short lifespan. It's, um, it's only a select portion of them. Um, 
it's like it's still far too common. It's mm. like ten to twenty percent of the breed. So that's yeah. that's still very significant. It happened to my mum's growing up. So yeah, it is. It's, it must be pretty rough. But yeah, it's one of the many abominations that you get from pedigree dogs. It's like the the shortened snout as well that gives them difficulty breathing. It's just like it's almost like inbreeding traits is bad. Who'd have thought? Mm. I know. Um, pigs um, are meant to be as intelligent as dogs. Uh, makes me feel quite guilty about eating them. And uh, as I said in the recent debate I had with Vegan, I do tend to try and avoid eating pork, not out of any religious convictions, just that um, I think pigs are quite intelligent animals. And, and so I feel a little bit bad eating them. I'm actually in the same boat. I'm the same with ducks. I've fed so many ducks that I know people find them delicious, but I, I feel guilty on a purely mm-hmm. subjective, non-rational level for eating them. I just can't order it. I, I, I feel too bad. I've, I've fed mm. too many out of my hands. I think any birds I don't feel too bad about because they've got sort of reptilian brains. Although I'm going to debunk that very soon. So I'm already coming out with fake news, but only specific birds. So if I, if I can just make two pickup points as well. One's, a, one's an observation, one's a question. I don't want to anthropomorphize the elephants too much, mm-hmm. but it's quite an interesting observation that people anthropologists and historical theorists note that one of the first things that forms a civilization is burial rites. Mm-hmm. And so it is interesting that hum- the elephants in their sort of step below human beings in a level of intelligence have a mourning process that not many other animals have. Lots of other animals, even you know, lions will eat the young of the rival male. And so they, they do have a, a sentimental layer to, mm-hmm. to their colonies. And then the other thing is more of a question. Is it worth making a distinction between animal intelligence where they can rote learn human behaviours in order to get a certain outcome, like rats navigating a maze or pigeons pecking a Mm -hmm. a button in order to get food, and actual sentience consciousness? Because no animal seems to have something comparable to a human's. Yeah, the line tends to be drawn, you know, human consciousness is its own thing, and there's a sort of hierarchy of varying consciousness from sort of plant to to human being, um, maybe like amoeba to human being. I don't know. I don't know what the bottom end of the, the spectrum should be, and it's probably a matter of debate that I haven't even looked into. But the point being is that there is a difference between what you said in your first question, where it's sort of conditioning. Like, you can condition animals to do certain things. Like, I don't think uh, my parents' dog understands why um, when you go like that, it puts its paw out. I think they just think, oh, I get rewarded when I do this. I get treats, and therefore I think this thing is good. And I get praise, and this this makes the, the human like me. It's Pavlovian. Well, of course it is, yeah. Because, of course, Pavlovian conditioning was to do with dogs. So it, it couldn't be a, a more fitting example. And that's exactly what's going on. It's... Um, Classical conditioning. There's also operant conditioning as well, which um, is its own thing. But I'm not going to be talking about that because lots and lots of animals can be conditioned. It's not necessarily a marker of intelligence. Um, it's also worth mentioning as well. We can be conditioned just as easily. Our brains, you know, our unconscious minds um, operate under the same apparatus. It's why habits are important in, in human beings because that's effectively we've conditioned ourselves to, to exhibit a virtue. So to, to view ourselves as unique in that particular respect isn't necessarily you know, something that is reasonable and fair. 
And um, I suppose I may as well get on to corvids, which basically means crows and ravens, which I've seen banded around in, in, in the scientific literature, people saying that they can be as smart as a five to seven year old child, human child, which is quite phenomenal, really, that uh, a sort of primate brain in a, a corvid, it's worth mentioning as well, um, they have smooth brains, they don't even have folds, I'm not even using that in the pejorative sense, in the actual sense, they do have physically smooth brains, so they don't have the neural folds to maximise uh, neuron density that we have, and um, that makes it all the more impressive. So here we have a map of the distribution of corvids, and of course, wherever you're watching this, unless you're watching it from, you know, the East Falklands, you're probably going to have native corvids somewhere in your country. Uh, certainly in North America, you've got crows and things like that. I know you do. Maybe in ravens. In fact, I know you do. Europe, I'm certain you do. Asia, Africa. So this should be something that's familiar. You're going to have birds in this family where you live if you're watching this, if you have internet. Even Papua New Guinea has it. So, you know, you're, you're going to, to have these in your local environment and they're probably going to be doing quite well because they're quite industrious and they can live alongside human beings and so they're pretty easy to find but they're quite amazing creatures I think and they very much get underappreciated. So I'm going to have a look at just some of the UK species here. Um, here's a drawing I found online. It's just the common raven, the hooded crow, the carrion crow, the jackdaw, the magpie, the rook, the chuff who uh, is one that people quite often forget in the J. And the only ones I haven't seen here in the UK, um, although they are here, is the Chuff and the J. Um, I think Js are a lot more common in North America. Yeah, they've got the native blue J as well. Mm -hmm. The Australians have a different species of magpie, which is drongo. Intelligent. Yeah, yeah, they're they're um, very aggressive, aren't they? It's, uh, to my understanding, I had an Australian explain this to me that the term drongo means like a uh, belligerent yeah it's, it's like a slang term all on its own mm. because of the bird it's kind of um a sort of placeholder softer variant of calling someone an a-hole mm. that's that's how i understand it anyway which <laughs> on the parallel of that i have seen a wonderful magpie video on the dodo where a slightly lonely probably autistic woman befriended a whole troop of magpies and they follow her home and so she set up her back garden with toys and like socks and towels on the clothesline so they could hang upside down and play. So they do have a, a tricksterish nature about them. I mean, you do you do see that when they bully slightly smaller birds as well, because mm -hmm. this particular bird family, the reason you get so many of them is because they are larger than lots of things like sparrows and jackdaws, so they can just pinch all of their berries and bully them out of gardens. I've, mm -hmm. I've seen it myself. So. Yeah, and, and seagulls do that to them in return, don't they? And then you get lots of uh, crows then bothering the seagulls and, and basically harassing them. It's similar to, I'm um, not sure if you saw this video, but there's some young tiger cubs and there were, I think there's some gibbons or something like that. It must've been in India. So I, I'm not sure if you get gibbons in India, but they're, they're basically monkeys and they were coming down from the trees and yanking the, the tiger cubs tails and then going back into the trees and kind of staying just low enough. So the tiger cubs think that they have a chance of getting them and they're, they're deliberately teasing them 
And I think crows do this as well to other birds just to get rid of them. They do have a mocking laugh style call. Mm -hmm. And I'd much rather my garden be filled with crows and magpies and seagulls because seagulls are kind of terrifying. Have you seen the videos where they're just devouring a rat hole? Yeah, well, I I've also seen them go into Tesco's and nick a packet of crisps. So they... <laughs> They really are like the sort of... The uh, yobs of the bird world. They are, yeah. They, they need to have little seagull tracksuits and <laughs> maybe a, a gold chain, rims. Canistella under one wing. Exactly, yeah. Um, yeah, but they're, they're nasty birds, whereas uh, I think corvids are intelligent enough that if you're nice to them, they'll be nice to you in return. Mm. Not necessarily all the time. Maybe there's a learnt behaviour where they're going to be mean. But... Um, a particular crow of note, or corvid, should I say, is the new Caledonian crow, which is the most intelligent of all of them. And there it is. Um, notice anything interesting about it other than it looks like a crow? It's got a, uh, I don't know if this is this particular one, but it's got a sort of flared feather effect on the back of its neck. Mm -hmm. And it's also got some lighter feathers towards its tail end. Anything about what's in its beak? A twig. Mm -hmm. But notice a it's got a particular shape about it. That's uh, known in uh, the film business as foreshadowing. Um, yes, th this is, of course, um, a tool in its mouth. Right. And uh, we'll be getting on to that soon enough. And uh, first, I think it's worthwhile watching a little video just to prove, before we get onto the new Caledonian crow, we can um, have a look at this little video more specifically. Oh, I forgot to mention, here's where New Caledonia is. I should have said that before. So here we are, there's New Caledonia near Vanuatu. Oh, near Fiji and yeah. Papua New Guinea. Yeah, so it's sort of off of the coast of Australia. So it's quite a small island. Um, I'm sure it's a very nice holiday. Um, if there are any Australians, I imagine it's much easier for you to go out that way than it is for us. But um, yes, that is their, their homeland. That is where the world's smartest corvids live, on that tiny little island. Which I find interesting because you normally think that islands are areas where there's these weird niches where it wouldn't be able to survive elsewhere, whereas you wouldn't expect something exceptional to be there. I suppose a Komodo dragon's on the island of Komodo. And if they were set loose on the mainland, it'd be pretty scary, wouldn't it? So it's not going to be like that time where they just. Do you remember the Green Party's policy where they were trying to rewild Brighton and they just released sheep into Brighton? <laughs> it's what, just in mad. The, the town centre. Yes. And they're meant to be the Green Party. Well, yeah, because like, they yeah, just, we just have sheep knocking about. Yeah, genuinely, they just thought more animals equals more good. There's going to be, uh, you, you know how every town in Britain that has a sizable enough local council has like a welcome to such and such place. Mm. The sheep are just going to be eating the flowers, welcome to Brighton. I really wanted to do the old hypothetical school prank of going to Brighton, walking up to the sheep and just painting numbers on them. But I'd paint like one, two, three, four, six. <laughs> and so they're endlessly looking for the fifth one. You'd have to paint over all the, the bright flag colours on them, I imagine. Yeah. Rainbow dip sheep. <laughs> yeah, they're probably going to dip dye them, so they're going to have uh, like a multiple coloured wool. But anyway, enough weird <laughs> anecdotes. Let's get back to this video. Um, this mouse is very difficult to use. Here we go. So this is from New Scientist, just to credit them. So 
they make mention of Aesop's fable. And basically what this is, this is an experiment used in uh, developmental psychology with children to show a certain understanding. And they've got a, a selection of bricks here where um, some of the bricks are heavy, some of them are light, and the heavier ones push up the water more. And it mm. selects the heavier um, one because it understands that heavy things in water it pushes the water up and it allows it to get the treat. And here they've got a choice between, um, I think it's dirt and, and water, just so it's proving that it's not a, a learnt behaviour just to put the stones in the tube to get food. It understands it has to go for the water, um, but it doesn't understand, as the video says, the effect of width. It'd be easier for it to put the, the things in the, the smaller one, but then eventually it figures it out. Hmm. It realises that's going to be too much effort. I'll do this one first. It is interesting how they seem capable of problem solving more than a quicker rate than human infants. Mm -hmm. But this it, this would likely be uh, an adult New Caledonian crow, oh, of course, rather yeah. than a young child. And of course, they have a, they have mm -hmm. a much shorter lifespan than human beings, so their development is accelerated. But it's still just surprising. It is impressive, isn't it? And um, I think this is an experiment which is a bit cheeky where the tubes are connected um, underneath the table so it can't actually see what's going on. Right. So it, it ends up not really understanding, but it still figures it out in the end. So here we have a research paper, which I found very interesting. It was looking at the manufacture and use of hook tools by New Caledonian crows, which... Um, I showed in that picture that we started with. And I'm just going to read a little bit about what they have to say about it. So they say, New Caledonian crows um, manufacture um, the use of two different types of hook tool to aid prey capture, hooked twig and, and uh, what was it? Stepped, cut, barbed, pandas, pandanus leaf. It's been a little while since I prepared this. I did read it beforehand. It's just that I've forgotten, all right. Um, Crow tool manufacture had three features um, new to tool use in free living non-humans, a high degree of standardization, distinctly discrete tool types with um, definite um, imposition of form in tool shaping and the use of hooks. These features only first appeared in the stone um, and bone tool using cultures of early humans after the lower Paleolithic, which indicates that crows have achieved a considerable technical ability in their tool manufacture and use. So it's also worth mentioning as well, because they're foraging birds, they change the area in which they're foraging and they have the foresight to take their tools with them when they go foraging as well. So it would be like us choosing to take an axe or a club with mm. us. And uh, obviously, you know, you don't have crows out in, the, out in the jungles of New Caledonia. I'm not sure if they're jungles or forests, but they're not you know, me metal forging and making axes or anything, but it serves the purpose that they're, they're looking out to achieve. And so... It was, it says in the paper, tool construction was, and, and as you've covered in your Origins of Humanity, two-parter, tool construction was one of the formative things that allowed human beings to develop past the ape stage. It's one being. of the benchmarks. We, we talk about our tool use as one of the markers of our own intelligence. It's sort of a, a badge of honour to us. Hmm. So to find it in a bird, I mean, the phrase bird-brained is a pejorative term. It means someone's being stupid. 
and yet here we are where they're using tools in a way that's equivalent to us in the, the bone and stone age. It is interesting though that there are among primate, primates evolutionary offshoots from our common ancestors. So we continued to develop tool usage which accelerated the rate at which we could consume cooked calories and, and grow our brains and shrink our intestines and ensure that we developed into humans. There are certain primate species now which use tools. There are certain chimpanzees that will fashion a twig into a stick to conjure up ants and worms and the like for, from the dirt in order to eat them. But they haven't developed anything more technical than that. Mm -hmm. So it would be interesting to see on a long enough time scale to observe these birds as to whether they're developing a consciousness of types of tool use or they're just sort of going to stop here. Well, you've come to the right place because we're going to be talking about that. Right, okay then. But um, yeah, it's worth mentioning as well that we diverted from our last common ancestor with chimpanzees was about 7 million years ago. So that's worth bearing in mind as well, that in, in the sort of vast sum of history, that's not that long ago. And yet they're, I mean, they, they have a certain amount of intelligence. You can also talk about, I've been coaxed into the apes again, haven't I? Even though I said I wasn't going to talk about them. But, you know, you can see orangutans, um, they, they see their zookeepers using certain tools and then copy how they're used without necessarily being shown how to do it. So they can use a saw and a hammer and things like that without having to be necessarily taught. They just observe it. Another phrase, monkey see, monkey do, vindicated in contemplations. So there's just one more thing I wanted to read from this, and it is this. Two birds change trees after putting down their tools, returning within minutes to retrieve them. When feeding on prey, birds left tools in search sites or transferred them to their feet. Hmm. So they have better object permanence as most babies. Yeah, and it also shows planning to a certain extent as well in that they're thinking, I want to eat this thing, but I've got a tool in my mouth, so I'm going to put this tool on my foot and then eat that thing, which is more delayed gratification than some humans have. Yeah, even adult humans. I mean, there's, there's lots of adult humans who can't pass the marshmallow test. Mm -hmm. for, for those who don't know, a lot of the time, if you put a marshmallow on a plate in front of the kid and say, okay, if you leave it 10 minutes, you can have the rest of the marshmallows, some kids will just struggle not just snatching the marshmallow because they'll sit and fidget. There's some kids that can wait, but the fact that a, a crow can have better object permanence and delay gratification than most human infants and toddlers, pretty impressive. Mm. I would normally just eat the marshmallow and say, you know, what, I'm only going to have one because I'm, I'm being healthy. So it's not greed, it's, it's strategizing for the future. Do you remember when earlier you said about human beings not having as much rationality as they think and actually they can just sort of like post hoc rationalize what they already wanted to do <laughs> but but i'm a psychologist i know that if i wait i'll get more marshmallows it's time preference isn't it yeah i'm not helping my case no no that's, that's one of the major problems with subjecting university students to studies because midway through the study they always work it out <laughs> that is true I, that happened a lot to me to be honest a lot of the time, because they knew they were recruiting psychology students, they'd be like, well, we know that you know, so we're going to build that into our design. So there's a sort of arms race of student to researcher, which um, I, I circumvented that just by um, lying to them. <laughs> I got ethical clearance. I, I told them that the story, the story, um, the, um, I'm so used to doing journalism, the, the research was about something else and then told them at the end what it really was about. See, that's how you do good research. Just lie. <laughs> In 
it's controlled lying. In a, it, it was ethically approved as well. An ethics committee allowed me to lie. So it's okay. Typical scientists. <laughs> a committee of my peers said it's fine. What, what do you want from me? That, that's justice, isn't it? Right. Back to the crows. <laughs> yes, back to crows. Here we are. Um, crows spontaneously exhibit analogous, um, analogical even, maybe they can read better than me as well, uh, analogical reasoning. And uh, this is as it sounds. So this looked at hooded crows, so not even New Caledonian crows. And this is something that people thought only apes could do. So, you know, not necessarily monkeys. So it's your, your orangs, um, your, your bonobos, your chimps, your gorillas. Um, and I think the only other case where that's not been true is a baboon of some kind did it, one of the more intelligent ones, um, is able to do this task. And this is the first time a non-monkey, I suppose I can say now, has ever done it. So it's quite impressive. Of course, this was 2015, so it's eight years ago now, almost nine, blimey. Um, but nevertheless, um, I'm going to read a summary from Scientific American because it's quite a complicated um, sort of methodology, and they did a very good job of simplifying it. I've, I've linked the article below, but I'm not going to show it on screen because it's just a diversion. But um, just to give them credit, and it says as follows, the crows were presented with a tray containing three cups. The middle cup was covered by a card pic picturing a color, a shape, or a number of items. Um, the other two side cups were also covered by cards, um, one the same, and one different from the middle card. The cup under the matching card contained food, but the cup under the non-matching card was empty. The crows quickly learned to choose the matching card and to do so more quickly from one task to the next. And once they'd kind of done, in, in many experimental designs, they kind of do a, a handful of trials. This is true of human beings as well, just so you, you can get the gist of the experiment. To watch the full video, please become a premium member at lotuseaters.com.